Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Decouple Podcast, where we explore the science and technologies that can decouple human well-being from its ecological impacts, and the politics that can make decoupling possible. Welcome back to the Decouple Podcast. This is episode three. On this episode today, we're going to be speaking with Mathies Beckers, who is an energy analyst based out of the Netherlands, about the German Energy Wende, which is German for energy transition, um, and describes their strategy of dealing with climate change and ecologic problems through a transition towards 100% renewable energy production. So this very much builds off of episode one and two. If you haven't checked those out, give them a listen. In episode one, we introduced the concept of decoupling technology, which is, again, this idea of technologies that can continue to contribute towards human well-being, the eradication of poverty, human flourishing while minimizing or eliminating the ecological impacts. We also talked about this concept of a wizard versus a profit approach. That's profit as in a prophetic conservationist, not a greedy capitalist. With a wizard approach being more grounded in techno fixes and in the utilization of decoupling technologies and this profit approach being more based in ideas of limits to growth. Uh, maybe even technologically regressing or degrowth economics, for instance. In episode two, we looked at a wizardly decoupling solution to Ontario's air pollution and, and climate crises, which was the replacement of coal-fired electricity with nuclear energy. And in episode three, we're going to be exploring the German energy transition. So this would be very much of a profit approach and in Germany, their strategy has been to strive towards 100% renewables, as well as shuttering their nuclear capacity. So kind of not the opposite approach to Ontario, but certainly a very different approach. So again, Mathis Beckers is with us today, and he is going to help us get an understanding of, of what's going on in Germany. Mathis, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your background and, and what you do? Yeah, sure, Christopher. Thanks for having me on. So I am from the Netherlands. So this makes me a little bit of a, a strange duck um, because most of the people you will talk to are most of the time Canadian or American, I presume. Originally, I used to be an IT guy. I was in IT from 2005 until 2010. And I really, really didn't like what I was doing back then. And I decided to throw things around and start doing something that mattered to me and would eventually also matter to my children. I have two children and that's uh, looking to make this place better, you know, leave the world, earth, a better place than I found it. So I started basically doing energy calculations around 2010 and started working and working on more energy calculations, getting more insights about our energy problems. At first, I was very enthusiastic about renewables, wind and solar particularly. And then once I started asking questions to certain people who were modeling things with wind and solar and I didn't get any straight answers, I was like, yeah, well... Now I need to figure it out myself. If they can share it with me, I have to do it myself. So I started remodeling the stuff that they did. And one of the people that we are talking about right now is Mark C. Jacobson from Stanford University, which is now, by the way, uh, being accused of having, uh, you know, getting a lot of sponsorships from uh, the petroleum industry. 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but but Mark C. Jacobson is the sort of intellectual um, lightning rod of the 100% renewables folks, right? He's come yeah. up with yeah, plans for the USA and for the world to run off of. Exactly. He's, he's one of the most cited people in that regard. Mm-hmm. So when, like when Bernie Sanders or AOC um, or Naomi Klein talks about, you know, what's, what is possible, are they generally referencing him? Almost always, almost always. Okay. Bernie Sanders, 100%. And, yeah. and then there's other guys like uh, Van Jones, for instance. And Leonardo DiCaprio. And Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Those people are all in cahoots with Mark C. Jacobson. <laughs> um, so today, Thiza, I brought you on the show because um, I understand that you're making a film about the German nuclear shutdown. That's correct. Um, which is which is a part of their energy wenda. I'm probably not pronouncing that very no, well. It's, it's it's almost it's almost the way it should be. So. Energiewende? Yeah, it's Energiewende. Yeah, <laughs> Energiewende. Which, which is, um, I think, probably the world's most, on a nation level anyway, the most ambitious energy transition plan uh, that, is, that is currently happening. Would that be, would that be an accurate statement? It's, it's mislabeled, actually. I don't know if we have to go into the details straight away, but yes, it is ambitious, but it is mainly aimed at, at, at shutting down their own nuclear plants more than anything else. That's not the stated, is that the stated aim or, you know, is it about transitioning to kind of zero emissions or about climate or are you saying it's more like in terms of its stated objectives, you know, how it advertises itself? Is it pr- primarily an anti-nuclear yeah. policy? Yeah, it's, it's a move away from nuclear energy. It's a nuclear phase-out strategy. Okay. So the original name for it was Atomausstieg, which translates into English into Adam Exit, which is which is conversely the name that I chose for my new documentary. So it's called going to be called Adam Exit. And and it has its origins going back, like it it became kind of official government policy in kind of 2010, I believe, right? No, 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 much earlier. Okay. Much earlier. Can you, so, so can you walk us through like its origins and like you know where is it coming from? What's the? Uh... I I won't claim that I'm I'm an expert on the history of the uh, Atomostik or in given the uh, history, but in 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 general, it started with uh, the building of nuclear reactors in Germany and the fact that in some countries nuclear reactors were used to create weapons grade materials. So the link that these people make is whether you have a nuclear power plant or not, and whether you use it for peaceful means or not, it can be used to make weapons. So we are against it. We don't want that. We are Germany. We have had our own problems with war in the past, and now we're mainly a pacifist nation. So what happened was, and this is late 70s, early 80s, you got this movement of people basically very much aligned with uh, hippies and, you know, green activists and, 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 and mostly left-wing people. So just, just, <laughs> just to be on the, on the clear side here, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually attacking my own right now because I identify as leftist. So it's not like I'm coming from the right if ever, anyone is wondering what I'm doing right now, but it's, it's mainly a leftist uh position to be against nuclear energy in germany and- i'd say that's that's you know fairly broad i think there's a few yeah. exceptions to the rule i feel i can count those people on on my 10 fingers yeah <laughs> exactly but, yeah. exactly yeah. but in any case it it, it it it's basically 
an anti-nuclear sentiment born from the idea that you can make weapons using plutonium that comes out of reactors. And that's a sentiment that you still hear today. So I was at the Philipsburg closure. Uh, Philipsburg is one of the last nuclear power was one of the last nuclear power plants in operation in Germany. It closed down last December, and there were two protests there. One was to celebrate the closure, and one was to, you know, oppose the closure. And the ones celebrating the closure still were talking about that there were transports of used, so spent nuclear fuel, lightly used nuclear fuel, to uh, places where they extract the plutonium to mix in with other fuel, which we call MOX, mixed oxide fuel. And because it contains plutonium, they still believe that it can be used to make bombs, but it's very hard, so... And this is actually a, a way to reduce the overall spent nuclear fuel or nuclear waste burden, it's right? It's basically because... a recycling. Yeah, it's a recycling effort, basically. So I think the irony of the Phillipsburg closure was it took off, um, I think, about an equal amount of energy off the the um, German grid as was added by the Germans' latest coal-fired plant, which uh, I think is called Datlin 4, which they just brought online this year. Is that correct? That's correct. That's good. Okay, so, so you're saying it's primarily been sort of an anti-nuclear push, but I mean, I'm certainly, in terms of the proponents that I've um, talked to or read about online, I mean, I, I think one of its major goals is a transition to 100% renewables. Um, I think that's probably what it's best known for. Yeah. Um, so phase out of nuclear. I mean, I think also, they're also talking about phasing out coal by the mid 2030s oh that's incredibly um, optimistic <laughs> but i mean that's that's what they're claiming that's what their their goals are yeah at least their stated goals right so how is that how is that going for them anyway just on the sort of you know fossil fuel and and climate goals fronts so it's basically clean air technology cannibalism what is happening right now so you have one electricity source that you know creates very few emissions and you exchange it for another because that's what their that's that's basically what their plan was from the outset they wanted to replace nuclear power plants with wind turbines and with solar panels so at this moment they are making absolutely no progress on the emissions side and we're talking CO, we're talking CO two emissions here, amongst other things, because because they have lignite power plants and and they have far worse worse emissions than just CO two. They also put mercury in the air, arsenic, soot, microparticles, you name it. It's uh, it, it's it's really bad stuff, and it's actually just half an hour from where I live, so it's not good. If, if, so you've got a, you've got a personal stake in uh, in them getting rid of their their lignite coal. Oh yeah, coal, absolutely. Hey? If I if I if I end up dying from you know an illness uh, to my lungs or you know my my heart or something like that, chances are that that some of that stuff might have come from their power plants. Yes, the chances are very small, but. On a personal note, it's it's pretty interesting. Like as I've been learning more about nuclear energy and looking at kind of relative risks of, you know, moderate or low dose radiation versus air pollution, 
um, it's really made me kind of reevaluate just walking down the street and, you know, going past a truck that's spewing some diesel fumes or even sitting around a campfire and, and never really having thought of that as something that is potentially bad for my health. And I mean, I, I spent years guiding in the Canadian North, like I've, I've probably got four or five years, you know, straight in the bush, you know, cooking over fires, breathing wood smoke constantly. And when I think about what that equals in terms of, you know, in medicine, we talk about your pack years of smoking. So if you've smoked a pack a day for a year, that's a pack year. Yeah, I've probably got several pack years of smoking under my belt just from sitting around something as, you know, benign as a as a campfire or, you know, that's something that I would have thought was so benign. But if you if you look at, for instance, what more um, James Hansen has published together with a guy named Pushkar Karacha. From James, James Hansen is the uh, the godfather of, of climate change. That's what he's called, or yes, climate exactly. change scientist, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Pushkar Karacha, he's there both from Columbia University in New York. Um, they have basically figured out that open fire cooking is one of the most hazardous things that we could do, actually. Uh, people, if you look at the six million people who die from air pollution annually, uh, about half of that is from open air cooking. So cooking, you know, with fire, really using fuel like dung and wood and such. Okay, so <laughs> these are good points, and uh, and I think we'll probably get back to revisiting them. But oh, sure. let's let's get back to the uh, the energy one. You mentioned you're kind of you're downwind yeah. of of a coal plant, and there's a, a new coal plant that was brought online this year. Can you can you tell me about it? Is it a is it a super clean? I mean, I've heard it's top of the line anyway. It's, it, it's, it, uh, it is. It is. It, it is one of the most uh, most modern uh, coal fire power plants in the world. Let me let me return to to the uh, to the history, just just one second because this is quite important. So, with the German political landscape shifting more towards the left, the green activists the green activists basically gained a foothold in the government, and they became at their strongest when Gerhard Schröder was the, the chancellor of Germany. The Greens got their most firm foothold in the government. And that's when the atom Ostieg became an actual political thing that would eventually end up becoming the Energiewende, the expedited exit from nuclear energy. So this started in, it's the early 2000s. Late nine, late nineteen nineties, early two thousand that we are speaking of right now. That's when the egg was laid. Can you can you talk a little bit about you know so so every country has um, energy resources that they can extract, and Germany doesn't have much in the way of oil and, and gas. Yeah, they basically have nothing. They have coal, but they do have, and that's part of why they lost World War Two. I understand. Yeah, they, some people think. Well. <laughs> That, that has to do, uh, amongst other things, with uh, not having nickel, not having oil. Um, you know, the push for the Crimea was a big thing because there, that's where the oil fields were and uh, Hitler absolutely needed them. 
there's loads of stuff and there's loads of things that we can say about the second world war uh, <laughs> of course my, my dad but they do have coal but they, they do have they coal. do have coal they have masses and masses and masses of coal and um I, I, if somebody ever travels to germany i would suggest that they go to the area which is slightly to the southwest of uh, the Ruhr area and that's where the largest coal mines of Germany are. There are also some coal mines in the east of Germany. Um, these these holes that they have dug are just enormous. One of the holes, I, I was once there with Brad Kugelmass. He is um, he 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 works in the U.S. He has uh, the Energy Impact Center. And uh, we were there together and we were just trying to figure out how deep the hole was and how, how much mass would be extracted. And we were counting the, the extractors. So they have these giant excavators, you know, and, and these things are 100 meters tall. And there are these terraces in that hole. And each terrace had its own excavator, but the excavator it wouldn't reach the top of its own terrace. And there were like five or six of these terraces. So by knowing the the height of those excavators alone, we could figure out that it would be at least 500 meters deep. And half a kilometer deep. Half a couple, half kilometer deep and, and several kilometers wide and more than 10 kilometers long. So, and, and in the end, we, we ended up back at, at our home and we started calculating and it turned out that you could pick up Manhattan and, you know, all the buildings of Manhattan, you could pick them up and drop them in the hole and it wouldn't even fill it up. The, wow. These things are enormous. I thought Europe was a, was a pretty cramped place. Like it's just, you know, with villages everywhere, it seems hard that you could fit such a huge open pit strip mine in there no 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 the point is what do you do if a village is in the way <laughs> go around it no no the germans they just pay you off they say okay this 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 village is now ours we need it because the coal is underneath you and uh, you just move elsewhere so that's what they're doing they are basically you know up uprooting people and making the move somewhere else and demolishing the entire village, including age old cathedrals, by the way, there were some cathedrals more than a thousand years old. They have now been broken down and there was this age old forest that has now been cut down because they want to get to the coal. So this is, this is the worst kind of energy that you have it's not just energy that is dirty but it's also energy that is messing with people and how they live so how, how has germany won the sort of public relations battle on this front because i think when most people you know think about germany and they think of you know this is a country that's supposedly leading the the transition the clean energy transition and you know this sounds like a bit of a dark underbelly to that story oh that's it, yeah it's it, it's incredibly strange to me that they have gathered all this public support and all this this good PR stuff right because they are basically digging up their own country so the point is they have invested about half a trillion US dollars already it's more than that 
actually, in the expansion of wind, solar, and some biomass and biogas, mainly biogas, by the way, in German, in the case of Germany. And if you look at the figures, you know how much, how much capacity that they've added. It's it's immense. It's huge. But that's also a testament to how much nuclear capacity that they had in 2015. That's just two or three. Um, nuclear power plants in operation more than they have today, they had about 11 to 12% of their electricity came from nuclear. So the fact that they managed to, you know, cut down about half of all their nuclear capacity in 10 years, while they were, while they still have 11% of their electricity production means that they have added a huge chunk of wind and solar. And that's that's all that that's that's the only thing that people look at. They look at how much capacity did they add and they look at what happens in, you know, some April day when it's windy and nobody is doing anything because it's a national holiday and then it suddenly looks as if they can power their entire country using wind and solar and perhaps a little bit of gas and coal and and that's it and that's 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 what makes the headlines basically so it's it's greenwashing actually what they're doing because they if you look at it from a from a from a total perspective if you look at it from from a perspective of all the emissions that they are putting into the air it's terrible because they have made any progress on that on that you know front i've looked at a few graphs and it it looked like 2019 there was a slight reduction like in terms of their co2 emissions um i think there's been they quote like a nine percent reduction i think compared to 1990 is that is that accurate yeah that's that's pretty accurate and now now what we are going to see next year 2020 once that gets into the records, it's going to be a fantastic year for emissions because of COVID nineteen. Right. The, okay. Yeah, yeah, the entire country has been doing nothing for like three or four months already, so their industrial output has decreased significantly. You know, their GDP will be down by six or seven or eight percent by that time. So, conversely, what you will see is that the emissions will be down an equal amount commensurate right so right now what well, I, I have this strange feeling that next year we are going to see headlines that germany did even better than we expected i, I saw that the 2019 was also credited with there being a very warm winter i think in, in 2018 oh that's absolutely true uh, yeah 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 anyway so it'll, it'll take some time to to see what happens and i guess 20 2022 is when the last nuclear power plants are supposed to be shut down exactly and how how much capacity is there in those nuclear power plants? Yeah, it's like, about six gigawatts, give or take. Okay, okay. Yeah. And a gigawatt again is a, is enough energy to power about a million homes. Yeah, so making this, exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. So the six, let's say they had eight, about eight or nine gigawatts of nuclear capacity in 2016, 2015. and that's when they had eleven percent of their electricity production from you know eight or nine gigawatts so 
by that token, by the same token, if you would have 90 gigawatts of nuclear capacity, you would have 100% carbon-free electricity. <laughs> it's a factor of okay, 10, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's so Germany. They've they've invested. I, I was reading 550 billion euros in the yeah in the energy window. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's more and, now. And, because that's that's okay. probably the twenty seventeen figures, twenty sixteen figure. Okay. And they're, they're and with that investment, they've achieved you know at best a nine percent reduction after a warm winter in twenty nineteen. Exactly. By the okay. by the graces of the weather gods, right? <laughs> how, so how is their coal phase going? Though? Are they are they you know they've shut down quite a bit of nuclear? Have they None. shut down an equal number of coal plants? No, no, not at all. Well, there, there, there are some phase out, you know, they have mothballed some of their coal capacity, but the, the strange thing is they can demothball that same capacity if they need it. And they do so from time to time. So it's basically standby. Uh, you could, you could say that they put their coal power, coal powered power plants on standby from time to time but most of them are still just burning masses of coal the biggest ones are still operational so there's no and these are, these are burning that, that lignite brown coal the, the kind of the dirtiest coal in the world yeah so 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 the strange thing about germany is this they use lignite or brown coal as their base load power and then they have a small strip of nuclear which is also base load then they get a little bit of hydro. And what you see next is they have gas, but gas is not as big yet as coal, but it's growing. They have some biomass, which is not big either. So what you then get is the variability of wind and solar, you know, pushing the system, uh, making, making people uh, have to pay more or less for the electricity. And what they do to offset uh, certain days when they have not enough electricity is they use black coal, <laughs> anthracite, <laughs> to to what usually is being done with gas plants, you know, pick up the peaks and everything, is done in Germany with black coal. So <laughs> it's, it's it's really exactly not what you want to do because the the trouble with ramping up and down these power plants is the same like in your car if you sit in traffic all the time and you keep mm-hmm. you know you have to move meters at a time but you see your 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 fuel tank deplete faster because it's inherently inefficient when you do that so hmm. so that's what they're doing in Germany plus they are now they they already have one gas line coming in from St. Petersburg, Russia. And they're building a second one, which is called Nord Stream 2. So they're increasing their ability to import natural gas from Russia. In the end, what is going to happen if they are going to push on the coal industry and say, okay, now you have to phase out. We have phased out our nuclear power plants and now you have to start phasing out. I will bet you ten dollars that they won't replace them with wind and solar, but that they will build new gas-fired power plants instead. It's either that gas-fired power plants, biogas, natural gas, one of the two, or a combination of the two, because they are already using biogas. 
or it's going to be biomass, which is even worse. <laughs> so what what is biomass? Now biomass is basically chopped up trees. Okay. And that's that's green because there's a you know carbon cycle and all that CO2 from the burned trees will grow into new forests. Is that the that's that's the, logic, that's, right? that's the idea. Only the the trouble here is that in order to get a mature tree, it takes about 25 to 30, maybe even 40 years, you know, before it reuptakes some of the carbon that has been emitted by burning the trees that have been cut down. So it's it's not a, it, it's what, what you're going to do is you're going to create a, a cycle of lag because it takes such a long time to recoup that CO2 that you've emitted. That it's actually, but it's actually a disaster. If we if we start doing that, and and in in the U.S. they are already cutting, you know, uh, not not cultivated trees, but old forests. So you're losing biodiversity at the same time. So that's absolutely a terrible idea. A terrible, terrible idea. And I'm guessing you wouldn't want your kids to grow up downwind of a biomass uh, power plant. No. No, no. <laughs> the emissions, <laughs> the emissions are not much better than lignite. Okay, okay. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I felt like I'd read a lot about the energy window, and I'm I'm being shocked by some of what you're saying. And, um, <laughs> and I'm and I'm still a novice on that account. I mean, there's people who know much, much, much more than I do. <laughs> Yeah, you just think with with such an enormous investment that they would have more to show for it. Um, have you like you you live right next to Germany? You've traveled through. I had some friends that went on a, a bike tour, and they you know they were just like, "Wow, there's wind turbines everywhere!" Like yeah. you, <laughs> you couldn't you know, yeah, you basically had one in sight at all times. Is that is that what Germany looks like now? Well, it's an enormous country. It's yeah. there's 80 billion people there, um, and even 80 though, million, yeah, yeah, 80 million, yeah, and um, it's big. But these people are right. If you go into the wrong state, there's windmills everywhere. <laughs> you you can't drive like two minutes before you see another windmill somewhere. It's just impossible. And I've heard that um, there's a lot of uh, nimbyism or not in my backyard um, starting to develop, I think, as a result of, of these wind turbines being I've read everywhere. I've the same things, yes. And that's actually slowing down the goal of, of building, you know, enough. What's the goal? I think uh, 60% renewable energy sources by 2050 or... 2030, I, I believe. That, oh, 2030, okay. Yeah, but it's they, they're never going to make it. It's just not going that? to happen because you can see the slowdown occurring right now so the, they have been so the, the additions of wind capacity have been slowing down over the last two or three years already and with COVID 19 it will slow down even more because they will take a gdp hit which mm. means that there will be less investments in the next couple of years so um no i don't, I don't see it happening I don't see it happening, uh, including the fact that they the nimbyism is taking taking up speed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I heard they were making new laws where you you couldn't you had to cite wind turbines sort of a certain distance away from the yes. nearest housing, and because Germany is so 
um, so populated um, and not just densely, but I guess extensively as well. Exactly, it's hard yeah. to find a lot of open country. There's always a joke in Canada about, you know, German tourists, especially that where I worked up in the Yukon, whenever they would, they, they, they come in droves to the Yukon. There's uh, a direct flight from Frankfurt every day to the Yukon oh, in the really? summer. And they're all just trying to get away from each other, right? So they're trying to go into the most remote wilderness where they will not see another German. And that was the joke anyway. Um, I can't so, imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, anyway, they're, all, they're, they're, they're nice people to be around, at least the ones that agree with you. So I have never, never really. I, I just think they're, they're, they're probably a little feeling a bit cramped into their country and they, they appreciate nature. Um, oh, and I think they just want that experience of, of kind of being alone in the wilderness, which, you know, I sympathize with greatly. I love that feeling too. So I'm not trying to knock. There's plenty of, rural areas in Germany where there is some sparse pop population, you know, not as sparse as Canada, of course, but I'm guessing the coal pits have a pretty sparse population. <laughs> yeah. Zero. <laughs> no, no, but there's, there's some actual, actual nice, you know, natural areas in Germany. The, the, the bulk of the people is concentrated in the rural area. And then you have a couple of big cities, strewn about the country and 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 some concentrations along the big rivers like the danube and the, and and the rhine so yeah i can imagine that there's people in germany who are fed up with only seeing urban areas all the time because you can you can drive for hours in the rural area without ever really exiting you know a built environment so uh, all that and, you know, all that taken into consideration, um, you know, I was looking at some figures today and it looks like the energy Wenda is, is very popular in Germany. Um, it is. I was seeing reports of kind of 92% acceptance, um, despite having some of the most expensive electricity now in, in, in the EU. Like, like, why is this? Why, why do you think that is? Germans are rich. That, okay. It's that simple. They they are rich. Pe- they they are a rich people. There's very very little poor people in Germany, and if they are poor, they generally do what some Americans do. They start living together, sharing their you know sharing their burdens. But in general, there's there's no need in Germany to be really poor, except mm. if you live in a rural area where it's no longer any employment or anything like that but they 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 are pretty the point is they're also pretty austere they're they're not these flamboyant people that that throw a lot of money around so they always sit on their money there's loads of people who have you know lots of cash they they are well off enough to just shrug at the higher higher they've thrown they've thrown half a trillion dollars into an energy transition that i guess it's you're right it's it's been successful in in terms of its stated goal of phasing out nuclear but beyond that it's done very little for co2 emissions it's done very little for reducing air pollution there's there's days like you were saying when the weather conditions are just right and the whole country can be run for a certain number of hours off of you know their wind and solar but you know, how, how is it that the German people are are not seeing this? Is it a failure of of the media? Yeah, in part, yes. There's 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 a very strong bias against nuclear power in the media. 
So they have a, they have an incentive to prop up whatever success they can find in the renewable world. And if there's something that is a stain on that, they will simply ignore it. And that's 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 a large part of the media is, uh, is responsible for this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I guess that gets to the point. Um, like, do you think that um, you know an energy transition whose goals are not just you know 100% renewables, but whose goals are zero or even negative uh, carbon emissions? Is that possible without nuclear energy? In your opinion? No. Okay. Listen, if you have a tiny country, then yes. You know, if if you have like five million people living in your country, like Scotland has, for instance, and, and you have all the hills in the world, and you have uh, loads and loads of of sea and coast and and whatnot, that then it's possible. Yes, then I can say it's possible. But if you're an industrious country like like Germany with eighty million people living there. And, and and exporting cars throughout the entire world and and having you know um, many people trying to come up with new ideas new technologies what have you um, it's simply not going to float there's there's the matter of the, the the fact that the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine which is a, a very simplistic way of putting putting it but the most and it's not just that it doesn't always shine or, or wind doesn't always blow the majority of the time it doesn't in terms of like germany i think their solar capacity factor is like 10. under eight it's 10 percent. so 90 percent of the time their solar panels are doing nothing it's simply clouded it's, there's too and much a, there's too much cloud cover and and they're it's not like, a tropical paradise it's not a tropical paradise and their their latitude is is too high already so and what about wind how do they do on the wind front reasonable reasonable they're, what what percent <laughs> of the time or what's the what percent of the time is their wind turbines about 25 25 yeah it's not great it's not great, and that's energy. mostly that's mostly in the in the sparsely populated north, right? And they have to in the, ship that in the hilly areas, you know, yeah. where where you can get some altitude, because that's what okay. you need when you have a wind wind turbine. If you want it to work, you need to get high up in the air. That's why they are building higher and bigger and taller wind turbines all the time. That's why we get the Haliata X, which is eleven megawatts, and it's it's taller than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> is it that that exists yeah the, the, there's one prototype it's it's in the port of Rotterdam. so and they're well and, you've seen it yeah and they're going to build more it's 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 already a product that you can order so okay so sorry the prototype meaning like it's built to scale like there's a there's a no 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 megawatt. no no yeah there's an actual 12 megawatt or 11 i, I don't know in the exact figure. i believe it's 11 there's an actual 11 megawatt wind turbine standing in the port of Rotterdam somewhere. And it's taller than the Eiffel Tower. It's taller than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and I mean, the Eiffel, you go to Paris, right? And like, you can see the Eiffel Tower from just about anywhere, right? It's the focal point of the city. That's Yeah, the thing is like, well, I don't know how big it is. Uh, and, and so like a, a standard, just because, you know, sometimes before I was looking into this, I had no idea what a megawatt was and this, the relative size. Like when people think about a, a large kind of industrial wind turbine, what, what size are they usually? What's the output? Like a megawatt, two megawatts? The ones that you see now or most of the time, they are between one and three megawatts, yes. 
Okay, so this thing is just massive as tall as okay i was gonna say it's unimaginably big but it's as tall as the eiffel tower that's pretty easy to relate <laughs> it's, to. it's massive <laughs> wow if you, if, and of course you have the the, the the burj khalifa you know the the biggest building in the world the tip in dubai yeah the the tip of one of the rotors you know the the blades is higher than the burj khalifa <laughs> Wow. wow. <laughs> These things are mammoths. <laughs> so there's a little bit of uh, steel and concrete kind of sunk into that. that yeah, um, about eight, 800 to 1,000 tons, I suspect. Wow. So a, a 3 to 5 megawatt wind turbine has already has 600 tons of steel in it. Okay. If you compare that to a nuclear reactor, I mean, a nuclear reactor is a fraction of that in terms of steel input. <laughs> okay. And that the okay, I mean, that's that was, I think, the the big moment that a lot of people had watching Planet of the Humans was to realize that wind turbines and and solar panels, you know, aren't made out of fairy dust, and you have to dig them up. Made out of yeah, you have to yeah. you have to dig them up. You have to get all the iron, ore, steel. All the all the the resin and the the plastics that go into there, and the copper that you need for the wiring and the generator on top, and then the oil because there's also lubricants in those in those giant machines. They don't work without lubricants, and that's a couple of thousand liters. So I mean, these things are industrial. You know, people talk about the democratization of energy right and then they then they go to wind and they say we need more wind because everybody can buy a windmill and then i think well if you take this giant machine that i spoke of earlier that's being built by general electric you know it's not like it's not like you're going to a mom and pop shop and order one of these things and 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 they will build it for you no you need to go to an industrial giant who has a complete infrastructure of digging machines and you know purification plants and trucks and factories in order to get this machine so, so the whole idea, you know, of being closer to nature and, and, and being more democratic and having good values and everything, it's just, it's just a fairy tale. It's, 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 um, what should I call it? It's like a, it's like a nice package. It's well packaged. Everybody thinks it's beautiful, but it's just the same old industry. It's the same old industry that also gives you cars. It's the same old industry that gives you power plants that, you know, burn gas or coal. It's the same old industry. You can't get anything in a large enough scale without those kinds of industries. It's just impossible. Yeah, because that, that was the other thing I was reading about the energy wind is that, you know, it was really sold as a way to democratize and decentralize energy and a way to sort of rest energy control out of the hands of big greedy corporations it's a bust um it's a yeah yeah it's a total bust it's a it's a myth the, so does each does each town sort of pool their resources and buy a windmill to power their town is that how it's working or yeah it does work that way 
but yeah, you, you have to look at it this way. It's it's just an other means, an extra source of income for the big boys. Mm-hmm. So sure, it's cool if you can pool all your money together and buy this giant machine, but we cannot act as if this is going to topple over the big industry that we don't like because it's just feeding the big industry in another way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that I've, I've heard uh, an argument I've heard is that um, part of the reason why there is, you know, almost zero um, critical analysis of, you know, wind and solar and, and the renewable industry at large is that its interests um, don't conflict whatsoever with the fossil fuel industry. And in Germany, I think, I guess we're seeing that in terms of new natural gas infrastructure being built, exactly. um, new coal being built, um, you know, the fossil fuel giants are happy to play nice with, with, uh, with wind and solar people. Most of the, well, here's the thing. They're the same thing. So if you look at the portfolios of all these giants like Vattenfall or Aeon or what's it called? Rheinenergie. These all have varied energy portfolios. They basically do everything. They Maybe they own a nuclear reactor and they exploit the nuclear reactor. Maybe they own also a couple of coal power plants and they exploit them. Maybe a gas power power plant and they exploit them. But they also have wind parks and solar parks and perhaps fermenters that they use to create biogas, which they then burn in their own biogas plant. The, the whole thing is a bust. Everybody who thinks that it's just the big boys, they just play around with all this stuff. They, it's like <clears throat> It's like you get this box of toys. And you can't decide with which toy to play, so you play with all the toys. That's what happened. That that's what ha- That is what really is happening right now. All the big energy companies, whatever they are selling, whether it is electricity or heat or both, they want to have of they want to have as much different sources of energy as they can possibly have because they want to spread the risk around. And they want to have assets in the books. And they want to have profit margins and everything. So they built whatever is being subsidized at that moment. If, if, if the government says, here, you have a couple of million if you built this solar plant in that meadow there, then they say, oh, sure, come here with the, with the subsidy. We'll build it there. We'll, we'll you know, stick some of it in our own pockets. And that's just how it goes. And in the meanwhile... The farmer and the small village and the other guys, they also get to play along. So that's why it seems like it's been democratized. But the whole thing, you know, all the big, the big shots, the oil companies and the, the power companies, they just play along. They're fine with whatever's happening in renewable land because they know that they still have a revenue stream coming in. And one, this is this is very poignant. People don't understand it. But if you if you look, for instance, at photovoltaics, PV, solar panels, the glass and the silicon that is sold to build these PV panels in the U.S. mainly comes from Koch brothers. The Koch brothers, mm. the the two guys who are being seen as demons. The people who we hate 
because they have coal plants and everything. They profit from the sales of PV panels as well, because you need the you need the silicon and you need the glass, and they can provide and they are willing to provide because they don't care if you build a gigawatt of solar. Because but couldn't couldn't we make that argument about any energy technology? Yes, in terms absolutely. Of, you know, the suppliers of, of nuclear yes, power plants, or absolutely, concrete that's, or steel. There, yeah. that's that's why I say it's a wash. If you want mm. to democratize your energy infrastructure, that's just not going to happen. Whichever mm. way you want, whichever way you go, they will lock you in somehow. They will know how to get your money. I feel like, um, yeah, this this issue of decentralization and democratization um, comes a lot out of people's ideas about nuclear energy, particularly in the United States, where you know I think a lot of the nuclear power plants are part of. Um, private utilities portfolios, and we have the archetype of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that um, people are probably unaware of the European experience, where you know the the nuclear builds that were done in the seventies and eighties were, you know, by social democratic governments. You know, most of the time, yes. I, I, nas- you know, national industries, nas- nationalized energy sectors. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, particularly in France. Because Mm -hmm. France has basically a nationalized nuclear industry, which it has been from the very beginning. It was so by design. So this was a result of the so-called Mesmer plan. They knew that they needed um, a power infrastructure that wasn't uh, as vulnerable as, for instance, the oil infrastructure. You know, back then the OPEC countries had a lot of clout and they could do whatever they wanted. And then you got the OPEC crisis. Everybody had to ditch their cars and start walking again. And the French, they don't have that many natural resources. They do have coal, but they don't like coal. So they needed something else. And they decided as a country to do it, which means that they now have 70 to 75% of nuclear electricity. Of all their electricity, 75% comes from nuclear energy. And the other countries, you know, Belgium has had uh, almost a similar experience, Germany as well. Most of the nuclear builds in Germany, Belgium, Holland, the UK, were somehow funded by the government. And and so one could look at these as you know democratically controlled. Therefore, they're certainly centralized, but yep. they're you know in a way that I find um, sometimes these renewable projects are not you know you know public sector or um, or you know democratically controlled. When you look at you know large scale installations, yeah, most of the time they're just privatized. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Privatized or, you know, in, in most cases, just owned by either large power companies or by uh, investment companies like Berkshire Hathaway or something like that. Hmm. So, these, I think we're getting sort of towards the end of the show. Oh, yeah. um, I did want to give you an opportunity to um, talk about the documentary you're making. Can you give us uh, your elevator pitch? Yeah, of course. So we've been talking about the Energiewende or Atomausstieg in the past hour. And I am going to create a documentary in which I try to highlight what is going wrong with the Energiewende slash Atomausstieg. 
So the documentary is going to be named Atom Exit, which is basically a direct translation from German to English, um, in which I'm going to interview several di different people uh, from across the board. I'm going to interview a doctor. I'm going to interview a politician. I'm going to interview some people who work at nuclear power plants. And I'm going to interview activists as well. And my aim is to give these people something, you know, to share with other people in order to try and sway the public opinion a little bit, perhaps nudge it, you know, just mm -hmm. tiny, tiny bits of pressure. And um, right now I'm, I'm, I'm in pre-production, which means that I'm, I'm making all the arrangements to, to, uh, get the interviews done, uh, get access to certain nuclear power plants, uh, renting a car. So it's it's going to be a hell of a trip because this, making this documentary means that I have to drive about three and a half thousand kilometers in a week. So that's huge because I'm going to cross the entire countryside of Germany in a week. Uh, there's seven or six... Yeah, it's going to be seven days, and sometimes I'm going to visit two or three nuclear power plants in a day. So it's going to be incredibly busy. Um, I'm still looking for sponsors because this trip is not going to be cheap. Producing this documentary is not going to be cheap. And if anyone wants to you know, help me or is interested in, in seeing what is going on, I have a URL. It's called easynuclear.com. Very easy, just easynuclear.com. It's one word. <laughs> and that's. We'll, we'll definitely, we'll link that in the show notes for sure. For those who can't remember that. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's basically a URL that I, that I got years ago. I had it for a different purpose, but I wasn't using it for it. But I needed a platform to, you know, share my plans about a documentary. So I thought, well, perhaps that's a good place to start. <laughs> Mm -hmm. well these it's uh, it's always great chatting with you i look forward to your next your next visit to canada um and certainly i'm i'm looking forward to seeing this documentary when it comes out yeah same all right well thanks again for coming on the show thank you very much for having me if you enjoyed the podcast please make sure to subscribe like and review us on your podcast platform of choice until next time, guys.